We had our monthly visit with the Premier today. Heather Stephenson joined us to discuss health care as a priority, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Will it be a stat holiday? Will it not? We had a fascinating conversation with an author named Ben McIntyre, who has recently written a book called Prisoners of the Castle, an epic story of survival and escape from Kolditz, the Nazis' fortress prison. And it was chaos at a fishing tournament in Ohio after someone was revealed to be cheating. So we had some fun today talking about the times that either we have cheated or the times that we have fallen victim to cheating. And no, we didn't go down the relationship road. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who is on Connecting Winnipeg this week. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, October 5th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling and McGarry. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Loren McNabb, once again on Connecting Winnipeg today, tomorrow, and Friday before resuming some time with us on The Start next week. And yesterday we spent all day on 680 CJOB speaking with various mayoral candidates about derelict buildings. The first of six days where we will be speaking with the mayoral candidates on a variety of issues. And today we're moving uh, from the municipal level to the uh, provincial level at 745. The Premier will join us. And good morning to you, Brett. The Premier, Heather Stephenson, will join us at 745. We'll have a conversation about several topics, including health care, the recent minimum wage increase. Uh, we will ask about the dismantling of the one of two camps on the on the provincial legislative grounds. And we'll also get into, you know, the relationship between the city of Winnipeg and the province of Manitoba. We'll ask the premier, how critical is it that the premier and the mayor of Winnipeg have a rock solid relationship an ability to speak with one another because so many of the priorities of the city are impacted by either legislation in the form of the city Winnipeg Act or funding arrangements and you know America make all the promises that they want during a campaign Brett but if they are ultimately elected many of the things that they are promising will not happen without the support of not only the federal government but also the provincial government so that's coming up at 7.50, and if you have any questions, well, just after uh, 7.45, so if you have any questions for the Premier, feel free to shoot us a text at 204-780-6868. And just on the subject of what we discussed yesterday, we're going to get a recap at 7.05 with our very own... Well, you know, we talked the other day about um, sleep and how the lack of it is killing us. Well, yes. we're going to speak to a man at 7.05 who uh, I often wonder, does he ever sleep? And I think our guest at 7.05 wears it like a badge of honor. Maybe he shouldn't. Maybe we need to sit down. Maybe we need to, <laughs> as his friend, Brett, take him out for lunch, share with him that report that we shared with our listeners, share with him the audio. Richard Cluche is of whom we speak. Uh, we will get Richard on the air. Uh, we'll ask for a recap of yesterday, find out what he's up to today, and then set up our conversation because we have a full day of discussion tomorrow on transit. And I want to ask Richard if that issue is receiving as much play as much conversation as it, as it deserves uh, in a city of our size a city without light rail transit a city with 
essentially no rapid tra- transit save for uh, 10 or 13 kilometers to one destination in the south end of the city. And it really should be a priority. Like, we, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody... Now, to be fair, it's because I'm in Winnipeg, but have you ever heard of anybody from outside of Winnipeg talk about Winnipeg's transit and how awesome it is in the same way that someone might say Toronto? They have an excellent public transportation network, which uh, I remember a person I went with said, oh, yeah, you'll, you'll be amazed. And I thought, whatever, it's, it's just transit. But yeah, I couldn't believe it. Or when I went to Montreal, I enjoyed accessing their public transport. I went to Calgary or Edmonton, everywhere I've been. Vancouver? A, yeah, yeah, everywhere I've been, and I haven't been in many places, but I'm always just blown away at the access to public transport transit. And um, then you come back home, and it just does not seem to get nearly the uh, priority that it requires. I would agree with your assessment on that. And no, I have never heard anyone say, wow, what a big transit. What, a, what an exemplary service. This is, this is a service which should be emulated across the world. No, not ever heard that with all due respect to the service that's in place i think most of us realize that it's at antiquated and it needs an overhaul transit itself has its master plan that it wants to implement so they've admitted that the city admits that it's been studying it but at a snail's pace it seems so and by the way if you want to listen to the first two episodes of cjob's turning point podcast on the municipal election that is being led by richard cloutier you can find both of those episodes on cjob.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts and then at 905 we're actually going to tee this up at 645 but at 905 we're going to delve a little bit more into the great fishing scandal of 2022 I heard about this the other day. What, what Did somebody line their fish with lead pellets or something? Okay, this is great. I don't know if I've ever seen language like this in a Global News article. This from Michelle Butterfield at globalnews.ca. All hell broke loose <laughs> at a competitive fishing tournament in Cleveland, Ohio last week when two proclaimed winners were accused of weighing down their winning catch with lead weights and Fish fillets, 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 I think. Yeah, fillet would be like if they actually put like a a, a chicken fillet, like fillet of fish from yeah. McDonald's <laughs> in the fish. Nobody's doing that. Uh, but there's video attached of them actually cutting over these fish and pulling out lead weights out of the belly of these fish. And these fishing tournaments are worth tens of thousands of dollars, sponsorships, Cumulatively, in the millions of dollars, this is a big, big deal. So uh, just after 9 o'clock, we'll talk to Kathy Kennedy and the rock and roll fisherman, Todd Longley, to find out how big a deal it is and what are they going to do about it. And at 6.45, we're going to tell you how you can win yourself some bomber tickets as it pertains to the topic of cheating. Mackling and McGarry, and I see that we have some transit feedback, and we will get to that eventually because we need to move on with what we're talking about here to give away bomber tickets because they will require some setup for our 905 segment, Mr. Mackling. It has to do with a fishing tournament in Cleveland. With There is cheating, and it's making international headlines. 
As I read earlier, and I got to read it again, Brett, because it's an excuse, uh, uh, an excuse to do so. All hell broke loose as a competitive fishing tournament in Cleveland, Ohio, last week when two proclaimed winners were accused of weighing down their winning catch with lead weights and fish fillets. And there's video evidence which would indicate that's exactly what happened. It was complete and utter mayhem and tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars of ramifications. This is a huge sport, sponsorships, winnings, etc. Literal lead weights in this video being cut out of the belly of fish. <laughs> so at 9.05, Kathy Kennedy is going to join us to talk a little bit more about this, along with the rock and roll fisherman, Todd Longley. But right now, we're going to use this topic as a springboard for a chance to win bomber tickets for Saturday's game against Edmonton at IG Field. What have you cheated on? Or have you ever been the victim of cheating? And let's just leave relationship stuff out of this because I, we don't, we're not looking to open any old wounds here. But maybe you've cheated on a test or you cheated in a game or you cheated at work. Or maybe you were the victim. You're playing a game. You're playing it with honor and your opponent defeated you. But you know they cheated. 204-780-6868. Ross Levitan, and for Cameron Poitras, how about we start with you, sir? Yeah, you know what? Initially, I thought when I, I lowered the basketball net in my driveway so I could dunk, that's, pro- that's probably right up there. But <laughs> That's not cheating. Well, that's why I, you can lower it. I mean, when I then tell everybody at school that I can dunk, I think that might, ah, uh, there, that, that that's might, you know, <laughs> that might be an issue. But uh, you know what? People are probably going to chirp me for this one, too. But in those video games, I don't have too much patience. If I get stuck even for five minutes, I'm going online. I'm searching what I have to do to get to the next phase. Ah, the cheat code. Yes, sir. Okay. So, you, like, when you go online, do you are you looking for, like, actual cheat codes, or are you just looking for strategy guides or, or some guidance? Yeah, it would be typically strategy guides back when I was, I was more into the video games. Now I'll just play GTA with my buddy, so you want to get the unlimited ammo, you know, really have some fun out there. Yeah. I don't know if that... I don't know if that's cheating. Mackling, your boys play lots of video games. Do they use any cheat codes or is it just all sports games? Yeah, it's all sports games. But I know they go online and they look at, you know, the different uh, tapping patterns and stuff that that you can employ in order to make your moves a little bit better. I think that's just coaching. Yeah, like I used to have a subscription to a magazine called Nintendo Power and they would release occasional strategy guides where the entire magazine was just how to get through this whole game. They did Super Mario Brothers 3, they did uh, Ninja Gaiden 2, they did Final Fantasy. Without those strategy guides, I'd been a lost. There you go. I think that's just uh, using the information that's available to make your experience more enjoyable. Ross, uh, you're uh, off the hook. <laughs> All right, no punishment for preparation then. Good stuff. And, of course, there's the classic Contra code. I, be- I bet you Jeff Braun might, uh, might be... I'm putting you on the spot, Jeff, but do you remember the Contra code for Nintendo? Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, <laughs> B-A, B-A, start. <laughs> that is unreal. <laughs> 30 lives. Uh, what's your cheating story, Jeff? My, my friend Shice and I stayed up till 8 in the morning one night finishing Contra using uh, that code right there. That it was uh, one of the most exciting nights of our childhood. <laughs> uh, from, in one of, you know, a, an escalating number of ways I'm turning into my father, I now do this thing where if we're playing a, a cards or a board game with, uh, with the kids, that type of thing, I'll cheat not to win but to lose 
just either to make the kid feel good about winning or to just, you know, get the game over with so we can uh, stop playing it eventually, that sort of thing. So I used to, when I was a kid, I, I could, t I knew when my dad was doing it too. I was like, you are tanking on purpose to help my little sister win. And it was just infuriating, but now I find myself doing it. So what are you going to do? Oh, look at that. How it comes full circle. Jeff what? Forte, what about you? I remember when I was 10, I was playing Monopoly with my cousin, Robin, and, uh, Remember, like, he had all the hotels and the houses, and I didn't. So every time he had his back turned, I'd go to the bank, and I'd slip some, you know, it was the 100 and the $500 bills. I was trying to slip those, and I would shove them into the cushion of the couch so he wouldn't know I had them. And uh, <laughs> I ended up losing anyhow because he had all the hotels. You got what you deserved, eh, <laughs> exactly, well, Yeah, exactly. And then I remember it was like a week later, we were finding Monopoly money in the cushions on the couch. <laughs> it, was, it was a fail. It was a hard fail. What about you, McGarry? It was in grade 10. It was We were approaching our math exam, and one of my buddies... And I was uh, in the, the, the top shelf of our class for math. I was, once upon a time, quite good at the maths. And uh, so one of my classmates decided that he was going to try to take advantage of that, but he was quite honest about it. He came to me well ahead of the exam to, to hatch a scheme. He's like, I, can I cheat off you <laughs> on the exam? And I thought, well, I mean, he was a friend, and I thought if, if, I get, if he can pull it off, then sure. So we sat beside each other in the exam, and I allowed him to cheat off of me, but we got busted because we one of the answers we had was wrong. Uh huh. We both had the wrong answer, and no one could figure out how we came to that answer. It was one of those things where, I, like, I guess I, I, I don't know what I did. And when I looked at the exam again, I tried to recreate it, like to find that answer again. No clue. It's just some. Clearly, I screwed up a step along the way, mm -hmm. and it led me down this rabbit hole path. So that's how they figured it out. They made us both rewrite the exam. Although apparently, after I rewrote it, uh, the vice principal said thank you. Someone later told me that he just took my exam and threw it immediately in the trash because it was essentially a ploy to get my buddy Brian in trouble. You, your mark probably went up. They didn't the even second time. No, I think they just gave me the the grade that I had the first time <laughs> around. Uh, so 204-780-6868. What have you cheated on or have you ever been the victim of cheating? And again, let's just leave relationships out of it cuz that's certainly not a scar I wish to reopen. LOL on the air. McGarry McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg this week. In a moment, we are going to sort of recap what happened yesterday on CJOB as it pertains to a variety of mayoral candidates weighing in on derelict buildings, and we'll find out what we're doing tomorrow on CJOB. But a reminder that we have bomber tickets to give away. We're asking you, have you ever cheated? Or have you ever been cheated on in something? Re relationships off the table. Let's not go down that road. Talking about games, tests, at work, whatever. What does Willie have for us? I have a brother-in-law who's a good golfer who will usually beat me by a couple of strokes, but he's always flipping up, fluffing up on his ball on the fairway. Or if his ball goes into the bush and you know it's way deep, he comes out with it, says he found it. He likes to use a lot of foot 
wedges. That's <laughs> that's that's a common occurrence, isn't it, Brett McGarry? The foot wedge, the hand wedge, yes. And uh, look, the way that I play with my buddies, if my if I my friend wants to take a mulligan, which is to just take another shot, go ahead, like do whatever you want. If we're not playing for money, we're not playing for a belt. Whatever, uh, but if you're playing like when I, the Laker Classic, that's a competition. So yeah, every shot counts, and you must play honorably. And in some circumstances, you're just cheating yourself. Yeah, that's what golf purists will say. You're cheating yourself. I'm like I don't care. Just let me hit it again. Um, but two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight for a chance to win those tickets. We'll pick a winner at nine fifteen. Now three weeks from today, we are going to learn who the new mayor of Winnipeg will be. And here on six eighty CJB, we had all of the top eight candidates on our various shows throughout the day discussing derelict buildings and their impact on our city. Richard Cluche, co-host of the news, joins us now. Morning, Rich. Hey, good morning, guys. Can you summarize in 90 seconds or so what you heard yesterday, not only on your program, but throughout the day? I, I won't take that long. Um, I heard some candidates who said, yeah, we'll fix the problem without a whole lot of depth. I heard some depth from some other candidates. And on this issue, uh, the city is likely following the right path because since our stories in August, uh, there's certainly been a concerted effort to identify how much this cost city taxpayers, the police out this week with $1.2 million over the past four years. I expect we'll get the number very shortly from Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service. And just to recoup those dollars alone, it makes absolute sense for any future administration to start dealing with this question in a more detailed way. The bylaw needs to be amended. Most of the candidates understand that. And there needs to be more resources put into this. You deal with that and then come out with a, a better housing policy. And then you start to mitigate the problem. Don't think you'll solve it entirely, but certainly you'll mitigate it a lot more. Did you get the sense, uh, Richard, that the candidates understood the gravity and, and the seriousness of this situation and the impact that it's having not only on emergency services but just the quality of life in, in many neighborhoods of our city well I, I think throughout the day that certainly got their attention simply because we spent a day asking the candidates this and uh, we are highlighting some specific issues here and I think uh, if Zip Whip, which is our, our our talk back feature where you can text us that we all use, was any indication. Voters can can hear what they hear, and in that sense, they knew what candidates were simply just trying to rag the puck because they didn't understand the issue, and the ones that did their homework. Now, this morning you are moderating yet another debate. What's the focus today? Um, this is a, a consortium of organizations that are focused on growing the Winnipeg economy. What's different in this one is that there's only four candidates being invited to it. It's the main four candidates, according to that last probe poll. So there'll be a lot more time for interaction for lengthier answers. And uh, this one goes at uh, from 8 to 9.30. Again, the focus is on the economy, economic growth in Winnipeg, uh, and certainly on, on leadership. You have to wonder if uh, politicians having more time to answer a question is necessarily a good thing. Yeah, sometimes uh, sometimes you wonder about that. But I, I think this is an opportunity in the next three weeks as we really start to focus in on this. 
And, you know, a lot of people were asking us the question, you know, two months ago, why aren't you doing more on this? No, it's in the last three weeks of the campaign. People really start to focus. And there will be, I think, a good turnout this time around simply because the mayoral race is wide open. So tomorrow we'll be focusing on transit, Richard. Uh, Outgoing Mayor Brian Bowman campaigned twice with improved transit services on his to-do list we can uh, set aside how we think he did. Is this topic getting enough attention so far in this campaign? It'll start getting more attention tomorrow simply because any major city that is looking at a million plus people in its capital region has to have reliable transit. In a city of Winnipeg, where there's so much poverty, a lot of people are saying that transit should be free for others. Others are saying that it needs to be safe. And the disappointment over the past few years has been in not being able to secure enough government funding, enough taxpayer funding to get this done, to get those five lines done. We're on that path, but boy, like so many other things in Winnipeg, it takes so long. So out of this debate, out of tomorrow, we're looking not only for answers, we're looking for vision and whether or not the candidates actually have the jam to get it done. 680 CJOB's Richard Cloutier, co-host of the news. Thank you very much for joining us, sir. You bet. Have a great day, guys. And I've never cheated at golf. <laughs> Attaboy. And a reminder that Richard is leading the Turning Point podcast on 680 CJOB. The first two episodes regarding this podcast, which is focusing on the civic election, can be found at CJOB.com. And a third episode will be available soon. And on the subject of transit, Greg, what does Richard have to say? Not Richard Cloutier. I don't know if this is totally relevant to the Winnipeg Transit conversation, but I always think of my grandmother talking about getting around Manitoba as a young woman and taking the train from Riverton to Winnipeg or to Grand Beach to go dancing and back in the same night was it really that easy to get around manitoba back then because if so aren't we moving backwards that is excellent feedback richard thank you very much for that it's mackling and mcgarry mcnab is on connecting winnipeg this week we're asking you at 204-780-6868 about a time that you cheated or a time that maybe you were the victim of cheating and no we're not talking about relationships we don't want to open up those wounds but you might be in a game it might be in uh on a test or maybe you cheated at work or something i don't know what does jonathan have to say so i was one of those kids who cheated in call of duty aim bots seeing through walls and dropping people from the sky i'm not proud of it and looking back i kind of regret what a <clears throat> uh move it was that's interesting. So I guess so the because Call of Duty is one of those games that you play online. I mean, I realize most of them are played online now with people from who knows where on planet Earth. But you could even in those games, you could find a way to cheat. That's interesting. I'm going to take Jonathan's word for it. I have no idea. Yeah. OK, Jonathan. Yeah. Um, hey, man. Whatever it takes. What's your story, Greg? Uh, It's the bus ticket scandal of 1984. (laughs) September 1984. Me and my two buddies, uh, Ted and Ken, uh, we we lived in the West End, but we played football for the St. James Rods, and our practices were at Westwood Collegiate. Anyway, uh, our routine on Tuesdays and Thursdays was to grab a Slurpee and then get on the bus at Rouge Road and Portage. We go to the 7-Eleven there, get a Slurpee, then we get on the bus. Well... 
somebody, not me, one of my other two compatriots spent their last quarter, which was bus fare for us back then, on their Slurpee and said, hey, do either of you guys have an extra quarter? No, I don't have an extra quarter. I budget my money appropriately here. So we ended up with two bus tickets for three people. So one of our buddies thought, Ken, I think, said, why don't we just rip it, like, you know, front and back? And so we ripped it like that. The bus came along. We jumped on. We put in our, quote, unquote, three bus tickets, got to Westwood Drive, which is basically 200 meters down Portage Avenue. The bus made a turn back into Westwood. We went to ask for three transfers because we were on the wrong bus. The bus driver says, I give you two transfers because you gave me two bus tickets. That led to a 10-kilometer walk home back to the West End. (laughs) 204-780-6868, a time that you cheated at something or maybe a time where you got hosed by a cheater. Once again, we're not talking about relationship problems. Uh, We'll pick a winner for the Bomber tickets at 9.15, and in our next half hour, we'll give away some tickets for the Tenors, and Premier Heather Stephenson joins us at 7.45. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on connecting Winnipeg this week, but we do have another M. How about Manitoba? As in, it is time now for our monthly visit with the Premier of Manitoba. And we welcome back to the start Premier of Manitoba, Heather Stephenson. An early happy Thanksgiving to you and yours, Premier. Same to both of you and everyone else out there. Absolutely. So this Thanksgiving weekend marks two years since what ultimately became Manitoba's first genuine battle with the COVID-19 pandemic in terms of hospitalizations, at least, Premier. We know the people inside the healthcare system are leaving their respective positions or leaving the province for elsewhere at a concerning rate. I've got a two-part question here. The first one's maybe a little easier than the second one. Can we agree that the system is not working as any of us would like to see it work? You know what? This is something that is not unique to Manitoba. The pandemic was something that happened all over the world. Uh, It is uh, the challenges with respect to um, healthcare workers is, you know, something that we're seeing across the country. It's something that I'm talking to, uh, obviously, my counterparts across the country about, the federal government as well. We need to get more healthcare workers working, uh, you know, in the system. And obviously, we're working towards that. You know that we have um, already announced 400 new seats for for nurses uh, in uh, our post-secondary education system. We know we're looking at uh, internationally educated nurses and getting them to the front lines. And so that's obviously, you know, what we're working towards. Uh, This is nothing that's unique to Manitoba, though. Is that a yes? Do we agree that it's not working as we would like it to? Listen, guys, like, we're doing what we can to to deal with the situation. And, you know, and and I know my counterparts across the country are. Okay, fair enough. You don't want to give it a yes or no. That's fine, Premier. Uh, Is the I'm looking forward to getting back in your studio and actually doing this uh, live. Yeah, absolutely. As are we. Is getting the system back on track your top priority right now? You know, what is our top priority is getting the surgical and diagnostic procedures for Manitobans that need it out there right now. And, and that is what we're focused on. We've got a task force that is set up to do that. And so that is our number one priority. 
And believe us, Premier, we would love nothing more than to have in-studio guests and actually be sharing a studio, so maybe by 2024. But uh, your government came under criticism for voting against Bill 200 last week, just one day ahead of National Truth and Reconciliation Day. That was the bill to make it a stat holiday. It wasn't your bill. Uh, you have said that your government wants to get things right when it comes to a stat holiday on September 30th. So do you intend to make this a stat holiday or not? Well, I hope it's before 2024 when we're back in person. But uh, what I will say is that um, we are in the process of going through consultations uh, on this. And, uh, you know, what we don't want to do is, is obviously go out and, and do something that, that people aren't comfortable with. And there are, you know, differing views about what should happen with that staff holiday. And so we will listen uh, to those out there. And it's, you know, those First Nations communities as well as, um, you know, the business community as well. Uh, everyone who's impacted by this. Are you hearing from First Nations communities that they're against a holiday, Premier? You know, what we're hearing is that they have different, different ideas about what they would like to see from that holiday. Inflationary pressures are creating difficult times for most, if not all, Manitobans right now, some more than others, of course. Uh, One of our listeners asking, could you ask the Premier about the money that was supposed to help seniors in back to school when they announced it was said checks would go at the end of September? Still haven't heard anything. Can you give us an update on that? As I understand, the checks went out uh, uh, last week, and uh, they're, you know, going to those Manitobans who need it the most. So it's seniors and it's families who are just trying to make ends meet and we'll we'll continue to help on the affordability side of things all right so keep your uh, eyes on your mailboxes for that minimum wage increases are a double-edged sword for many we understand that they're essential for many manitobans and a source of consternation for some manitoba businesses do you think the latest increase was too much or or not enough no, I think it's a balanced approach to where we need to be, and it's a phased-in approach. And uh, we will be coming out shortly for some help with those uh, small businesses who need it. Winnipeg's going to elect a new mayor this month. The city, of course, is dependent upon the provincial approval for amending the City of Winnipeg Act, is a partner with the province on funding several city-provided services like sewer and water, transit and road construction, and rehabilitation for roads. So in your mind, how critical is a good relationship between the mayor of Winnipeg and the premier of Manitoba? So I think I've already shown um, that a collaborative approach can actually get things done for Manitobans when it comes to the uh, North End Wastewater Treatment Facility and and other things that we've worked with the uh, City of Winnipeg on. So I'm looking forward to whoever gets in, working with them to ensure we get things done. Yeah, there's a long list of things and a long list of priorities and some of the candidates saying if they get in, they're going to have to make some some changes. So it's good to hear that you're committed to a a solid relationship there. Yesterday, Provincial Conservation, excuse me, Premier, and Winnipeg Police removed a protester encampment on the north lawn of the legislative building. That has many wondering about the long-term camp on the east side of the legislative grounds. What's the future of that encampment? So again, we make the, <clears throat> excuse me, we make the the laws, and the police enforce those laws. So we'll leave that up to, <clears throat> excuse me, the police officers to, uh, you know, as to what they're going to do with it. Uh, but you know, the number one priority for me is safety. There are people coming in. There's schools coming in, um, children coming in and out of the legislature. 
I want to ensure that they're safe coming in and out of the legislature. I also want to ensure that it's safe for those who are working uh, in the legislature. So um, that is, again, our, our number one priority. But so in the meantime, you're saying that uh, until the police decide to act on that camp, that it's, it's going to be there indefinitely? Well, again, we make the laws and the police enforce the laws. Premier Heather Stephenson joining us live on 680 CGOB. Madam Premier, thank you for this. Great to be with you guys. Hopefully in person next time. Take care. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. That would be nice to have an in-studio guest, but I uh, got to get GMAC in the studio first and then hopefully Loren as well. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg. Question of the day. Reminder for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. The question that went up yesterday afternoon. Tuesday's Lotto Max draw is one of the biggest in the game's history. Do you play Lotto? 20% all the time. 48% occasionally when I'm feeling lucky. 32% say nah. Waste of money. CastervoteCJOB.com. We will update that question for you soon this morning. And heads up that the jackpot was carried over again. So, One of my buddies uh, out west says the lottery's rigged. He Some, sa- he you got to wonder. He says, he says they make these jackpots artificially high so more people buy tickets. I'm like, come on, John. Not everything is... Not everything is fabricated. Not it, everything is a big scam. It's hard not to think that, though, sometimes. I agree, and I, I realize agree, I'm, I the, I'm not making an accusation here, okay? But when the jet, when the, the $70 million jackpot gets carried over as often as it does, uh-huh. it's kind of hard not to think, not to suspect that how could it possibly be carried over again? So anyway, whether it is or not, whatever. I'm still going to buy a ticket. I like those U.S. lotteries like on the Chicago or the New York radio stations. They have their daily number and they still have the balls in the wheel and the ball comes. I want to see the numbers. I know. I want to see it come down. Show us the draw. (laughs) I want to see the ball come out of the box. And uh, on the subject, because we don't want to be cheated by the system. And on the subject of cheating, we're asking you, have you ever cheated at something or had maybe you were the victim of cheating? Relationship stuff aside, Goalie Bob has a good one for us. Timely topic. I cheated last night at our hockey game. There was a goal. Goal most scramble. I'm the goalie. You you don't say goalie, Bob. And the puck crossed the line (laughs) and was clearly in the net. The next thing I know, the ref is dropping the puck at the left face-off circle. My D-man had scooped it out before the ref or other team realized that it was a goal. And I said to Bob, no video, no replay, no goal. Yep. They did win the game, by the way, 10-5. He says it would have been 10-6, but hey, it's, no one's reviewing the goal upstairs. So, <laughs> Way to go, goalie Bob. 204-780-6868. We'll pick a winner for the Bomber tickets at 9-15 based on your stories. Now, this is the time of the week where we like to connect with a dear friend of ours. You may have heard him on these airways once or twice over the years. Let's say good morning to the legendary Bob Irving. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, you guys. How are you doing? We're doing well. Glad to have you back with us. Let's jump right into this. Okay. Uh, you weren't mincing too many words on social media last night, but set it up for our listeners. New York Yankees slugger Aaron Judge last night broke America the American League record for home runs in a single season, which was 61 home runs by Roger Maris. That happened in 1961 and stood for, you guessed or calculated it, 
correctly, 61 years. There are some who will insist that Judge should also be recognized as the Major League record holder. Where do you stand on that? Well, I stand on the fact that Aaron Judge is the clean home run champion now. Uh, Roger Maris Jr. put that tweet out last night, Greg. And I think everybody's familiar with the controversy surrounding Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, and Sammy Sosa when they had those big home run totals in the 90s and early 2000s. Barry Bonds hit 73 in 2001, but they've all been tainted by drug accusations. And uh, their home run totals, in the eyes of many, are not legitimate. Uh, Bonds hit 73, McGuire hit 70 and 65 in different seasons. So said three years where he hit more than 61, 66, 64, 63. But Roger Maris of 61 was always in the, in the eyes of many the, the mark that uh, made the most sense. He did that in 1961. So Aaron Judge hit his 62nd last night. It's been interesting watching Judge the last couple of weeks because he's really been struggling at, you know, the opposition pitchers weren't giving him many pitches to hit. And he looked to me like he was pressing. But he got number 62 last night. He did it in 157 games. Maris played four more games when he hit 61. So I would agree with Roger Maris Jr. that Aaron Judge is now the all-time clean home run champion of Major League Baseball. I was in Bush Stadium the night that uh, that Roger Maris's record was broken the first time when Mark McGuire hit his 62nd home run, Bob. Yeah. And that goes back to September of 1998 and for the last oh 18 years I've felt cheated that that experience was not genuine. So I'm I'm sort of on the same page as you. So uh thanks for uh sharing your thoughts on that. Bob, we don't need to tell you or anyone listening that the Winnipeg Jets have a new head coach this season. Paul Maurice was often criticized for his seeming unwillingness to integrate younger players into his lineup. Do you get the impression that Rick Bonus might have a different approach on this? Well, I think he does, Brett, for sure. You know, he's new to the team, and so his thoughts on everything are pretty wide open, as they should be. He doesn't know these players the way Paul Maurice did. Uh, Maurice, like all coaches... Uh, preferred to have veteran players, players he knew and trusted, and so it was difficult for some of the younger guys to break in. Now, Bonus does have a totally open mind. We'll see what he does with young Brad Lambert, uh, you know, the phenom forward who's looked good in a couple of preseason games, the first draft pick this year. Uh, The Jets have over the years been reluctant to rush any of these first-round picks into the lineup, especially at the tender age of 18, which Lambert is. But uh, we'll see what what happens with him. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he starts the season with the Jets. I would be surprised if he plays the full season. But we'll just have to wait and see on that. The other area, I think, where uh, the fans are looking for some changes are back on the blue line. And they've got five vets who are pretty much set on the blue line. But the... Billy uh, Hanela fan club will be looking for him to get into the lineup and play more. Logan Stanley's taken a step back from the way he produced a couple of years ago and looked like he was a, uh, you know, on the rise. And then Dylan Sandberg is the other one there, the young defenseman who's, you know, fighting hard and bidding for employment. So I think we'll see a couple of changes uh, on the bottom of the the Jets lineup, but nothing drastic. Uh, you know, bonus is going to go largely with the players that uh, have been here for a number of years and the players that Kevin Dayoff, the general manager, has decided can turn things around and make this uh, playoff team again.
You mentioned 18-year-olds, and I think it was Mark Shifley uh, the day before yesterday pointing out that in his rookie year back in 2011, he in fact led the NHL in scoring in the preseason, got his nine games, and then was sent back to the juniors. And, of course, his junior hockey played in Barrie under Dale Howarchuk, who as an 18-year-old came to Winnipeg and lit to the National Hockey League on fire. And the Jets honoured the late Howard Chuck on Saturday with an honour bestowed never before upon a hockey player in the city, a bronze statue. And for those who weren't born or, or live in, lived in Winnipeg during his time here, Bob, how, how fitting is this tribute? Well, there's no question, Greg, that uh, for Jets 1.0, the first iteration of the Jets, he was the big star. He was the superstar. He came here, as you say, as a rookie. He was the rookie of the year in the NHL, and he lit it up. And he was the leading scorer on the team for just about every season he was here. He settled into the community. He married a Winnipeg woman. He bought a house here. He bought a cottage here. He became a Winnipegger, and so it's totally fitting that he should be saluted in the way that he was. He was the one player during the Jets 1.0 that everybody could relate to and everybody loved, and he was a star. And the way they did it, you know, it's typical of the the way Mark Chipman does these kind of things. They brought in Sir Savard, for heaven's sakes, who was a couple of years here as a Jet during that time, and uh, Paul Coffey. And the thing that struck me a little bit, too, is Barry Shankro, who was the owner of the Jets in 1.0, was part of the ceremony on the weekend. So, yeah, it was... Uh, it was so well done, and Dale Howard Chuck, for sure, is the one name that resonates with Jets fans who go back to that time, and uh, the honor that was bestowed on him was totally fitting. Now, apparently the CFL or writers at CFL.ca have looked into their crystal ball and declared the Calgary Stampeders the odds-on favorite to win the Grey Cup. In fact, they put the number at nearly 41%. The same simulation puts the two-time defending champs at just under 30% to repeat again. Can you defend this chicanery, these shenanigans, Bob Irving? Well, no, I can't defend it, and I'm not sure how the CFL does this. They put a bunch, it's a simulation thing they do, and they put a bunch of information into a computer, I presume, and then it spits out this information, which is Calgary as a 40% likely to win the Grey Cup and the Bombers less than 30, even though in the three games they've played against Calgary this year, the Bombers have won all three. The Stampeders, though, are a legitimate force. I've been saying this all year. They're the one team that I think is the biggest threat to the Bombers winning the West again. And my guess is, and I think it's entirely likely, that the West final will be here with Winnipeg playing Calgary. So if I'm a Bomber fan, the Stampeders worry me. But how they could be chosen as the favorites to win the Grey Cup when the Bombers are 13-2 and versus 10-5, and have beaten them three times this year, is just a wee bit surprising, and I know it drives Bomber fans right over the bend. So the final answer will come on November 13th in the West Final, and uh, there will be no uh, there'll be no chatter about Calgary after that date if if the Bombers come through, as I know their fans hope they will and expect them to. That'll be the real deal. No simulations. I have one word to that simulation: Pshaw, Brett McGarry. Pshaw. And the, and the Bombers have beefed up. They acquired Alden Darby yesterday. Uh, they signed Keon Adams, a defensive end, who's had some good games in, in the league this year. So, you know, they're layering up a bit. 
on defense to, to make sure that when that uh, West Final, and I'm talking about the West Final on November 13th in terms of a game the Bombers will be hosting. Now, they haven't clinched first place yet, but if they beat Edmonton on the weekend and BC loses, that will give them first place. So I fully expect the West Final will be played here on November 13th. Bob Irving joining us live to chat sports. Bob, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Nice chatting with you guys. It's always fun to talk about sports. You know, I have an interest in that. (laughs) Just a little bit, eh? (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) We're asking you, have you ever cheated? Not in a relationship. That's no fun. But what does this listener say? Well, it's an anonymous text, Brett. My children call this cheating. I call it being creative. You be the judge. When traveling through Pearson this spring in Toronto and looking at the massive security line, I decided to try the Nexus line. I do have a card, but it expired during COVID. I walked up to the security person. There was no one in line and showed him my card covering the date with my finger. He barely looked at the card and waved me through. Got through the security line in 10 minutes. Sneaky. Sneaky Pete. So we will give away the bomber tickets in our next segment. And we have a reminder that we gave away a four-pack of tickets for Boo at the Zoo. Bernie Harder, congratulations. Enjoy that. Now, the reason why we're talking about cheating is because this fishing tale is so large, we need two guests to discuss it. It's a scandal rocking professional sports, Brett. All hell broke loose at a competitive fishing tournament in Cleveland, Ohio. This from our story at globalnews.ca. When two proclaimed winners were accused of weighing down their winning catch with lead weights and fish fillets. Or fillets. 3391, your new leaders. But tournament director Jason Fisher thought something smelled fishy. Runyon, as it turns out, had failed a polygraph, a lie detector, after a tournament last year. That cost him over $100,000 US. So Fisher took a closer look. I squeezed the fish, I squeezed the belly, and I immediately felt things in the belly of this fish, hard objects. And all hell broke loose. We got weights and fish! Inside the fish, weighted metal balls, about 340 grams, or the heft of a can of pop, wrapped inside fish fillets so they would avoid detection. He needs to be prosecuted! So this all went down September 30th at Ohio's Lake Erie Walleye Trail uh, Tournament where Jacob Runyon and Chase Kaminsky, considered two of the best anglers in the sport, were accused of weighing down at least one of their winning walleye fish. As mentioned, two guests to help us unravel this mess. First, the rock and roll fisherman Todd Longley joins us. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. How's it going? We're doing okay. Can't wait to hear your take on this. And our colleague, Kathy Kennedy, KK, this has been a huge topic of discussion for folks in your circle for several days now. What's being said? Well, you know, I think it's a a big chunk of shock and awe uh, at the idiocy and genius of of what went on. Uh, Genius in the fact that putting weights into fish never would have thought of that. And there were several people that I spoke to in the last couple of days who said the same thing. Wow. Putting a weight in a fish. But then if you're going to do something like that, uh, to, to make it so egregious where a fish that, you know, was supposed to weigh maybe four or five pounds and all of a sudden is tipping the scales at eight or nine, where it's so blatantly obvious something is going on. Well, some idiocy going on there. 
Now, Todd, first of all, is it fillet or fillet in this context when we're talking about these fish? Um, it, it all depends on the person. I'm, I just call it a fillet. And did I say here, KK, say fillet? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, good. So right. my confusion on, on that is warranted. Because <laughs> we, we heard in that global story, fillet. And uh, so, Todd, tell us about these tournaments and what's on the line. Pardon the pun. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, it's not uncommon that people are cheating. In Manitoba, just in the wintertime, uh, there was uh, a team that were fishing in an ice fishing derby, and they weren't pinching their barbs, and they got busted, and they got disqualified. And it, it made a lot of people angry because they're all following the rules. And this one team, they, uh, they had barbs on their hooks, and they were actually winning the derby. And they got disqualified, and that was the end of that. And now their name is mud in the industry. Well, you know, Todd, in that story, they were talking about lie detector tests, tens of thousands of dollars in winnings, and, of course, the sponsorships have to be into the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars for the top fishers on the planet. Oh, just thinking about how much boats cost and your sponsors and all that other stuff, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in play. And, and just can you imagine, like, I think Ranger Boats was on their jerseys you think how Rangers Boats is feeling right now that their uh, their team got caught, you know, cheating? It's horrible. You know, I would sue them. <laughs> well, I I wonder where that goes next, KK, because video embedded in our story story clearly shows they cut cut open these fish on the dock as yeah. uh, you know dozens are looking on and you heard the reaction in the in the audio that we played uh, pretty tough to deny this one like uh, the the runyon guy just stood there he had nothing to say well and and the other guy when they were trying to leave ended up getting you know locked in his truck as he was uh, circled by very angry tournament anglers and and rightfully so you know uh, Again, I've, I've been, for the last couple of days, working at a, at a hunting and, and fishing show. Todd, I'm at the CSI show. You know what that's all about. Uh, oh, yeah. and, and, and talking, you know, with lots of uh, other anglers across this province, they were all saying, you know, that these, these guys were lucky. You know, if something like this happened in Canada, there would be a scolding and, uh, yeah, name would be mud. But down in the U.S., that's a whole different ballgame. Right. Uh, they, they have some different kind of rules down south. So these guys are lucky that they got away with their lives. I think but, they can carry guns out there. Well, that's, you know, I didn't want to say that. So <laughs> pardon me. But uh, yeah, these guys are, are very, very lucky. And and further to to Todd and, you know, talking about cheating stories, uh, there have been a few. Uh, in this province as well and neighboring Ontario and you know a lot of them have to do with hidden live wells and that is where yeah uh, where people are pre-fishing come on yes they're catching their monster fish they're storing them away in their hidden live wells and then when they come to uh, the dock to weigh them in well look at that (laughs) they're in the regular live well Oh, well, they all, they also have cages that they what they do is they'll go pre-fishing, and they'll uh, they'll have a a cage attached to a rope, and there'll be like a little Coke bottle on the top or something. Well, in this case, a Pepsi bottle. <laughs> I work at Coke. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> they they they'll they'll put the fish in the cage, and when the tournament starts, they'll go to this cage, 
and they'll uh, they'll grab all the fish out of it that they stored in there and then put them in their live well. Yeah. And then they'll go back and weigh them in. There's a lot of cheating going on. This is horrifying. I, I think we're going to have to deep d- deeper dig deeper uh, into this story with the two of you. Kathy Kennedy, thank you, friend. Thank you. Rock and roll fisherman Todd Longley, as always, we appreciate you. And Gary, sleepy beefaroni slams the door on this, this conversation with this, Brett. It's not fillet or fillet, it's fillet, as in fillet with weights. Seems well named. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, sleepy beefaroni. Thanks, KK. Thanks, Todd. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg this week. We're asking you at 204-780-6868. Have you ever cheated? Have you ever been victimized by cheating? We don't mean in the relationship. We mean just, you know, maybe you're playing a game with somebody and you got hosed by their cheating ways. What does Kevin say? A few years back, a pro cyclist got caught with an electric motor in the frame of her bike. They now scan bikes before the race with an iPad that can see through the frame. Oh, Chris saying we were talking about the the reason why we're talking about cheating is because of this fishing scandal, this tournament scandal in Ohio. And Chris says, oh, I thought it was going to get some professional chess talk on CJOB today because chess has a cheating scandal going on right now, too. The former world champ Magnus Carlsen abruptly pulled out of a tournament recently after losing to an opponent he's accused of cheating. There was a 72-page report released yesterday that absolutely nobody will read. Because, <laughs> come on, 72 pages. But that hasn't stopped the internet arguments. Mm, I want to know more. That's interesting. What does Lorraine have to say? I cheated in a drinking game. There was about six of us, uh, about three in the morning, and I wasn't drinking. The guys were saying, you can't drink a whole beer to the girl. So I said, oh, yeah? Oh, yes, I can. So they were drunk. So I said, yes. And uh, I poured half of it out on the ground with my bottle in my mouth, chugged half a bottle. I won the bet. It was a cool, crisp $100 bill. They were so drunk, they didn't even (laughs) see me pour half the beer on the ground. I was victimized in a... In a drinking game once upon a time as well. Ken Neal, if you're listening, there's video evidence of this. Quarters, remember bouncing quarters, Brett? Yeah. It got to 26 drinks, 26 sips. Yeah. And we kept going around and around and around. Ken moved the glass just before I bounced my quarter. Guess what? I missed the shot and had to drink 26 sips. Oh, no. Oh, no. There is video. There is video from Banff circa 1992. <laughs> there's video? There's video. Yeah, there's video. Wow. Sandy is our winner, as always, a very difficult decision today. But Sandy had us both in stitches here because last year of school, says Sandy, grade 12, a few of us were on yearbook committee duty. And one day we stayed after school to work on the yearbook and we were in the office area using some of their supplies and came across some papers for the secretary to copy. Math Uh-oh. 300 and physics 300 tests. Well, we all got copies oh <laughs> distributed to our classmates. The whole class did extremely well. Teachers never did figure out why. They were too busy patting themselves on the back. <laughs> we must be really good teachers. <laughs> Look at our students. They're uh, crushing it. You can't leave that stuff lying around. <laughs> Come on now. Sandy, way to go. Congrats. You're going to the bomber game on Saturday. We said a couple weeks ago we were probably going to get access to a host of tremendous authors through the Winnipeg Writers Festival uh, over a course of the next few weeks. And when we got wind of this next topic, 
We had to pounce. World War II historian Ben McIntyre has launched his latest book, launched it last night at McNally's, about a prison break from a Nazi prison. Yeah, he is the best-selling author of many books, Brett, including The Spy and the Traitor, Operation Mincemeat, A Spy Among Friends. He's also a writer at large for The Times in the UK and is offering a surprising new narrative of one of the history's most famous prisons and the remarkable cast of POWs who tried to relentlessly escape their Nazi captors. The new book is called Prisoners of the Castle, an epic story of survival and escape from Kolditz, the Nazi's fortress prison. We say good morning to Ben McIntyre. How are you this morning, Ben? I'm fine, thank you. It's great to be joining you. Well, we appreciate your time immensely. Talk about Kolditz. Why is it uh, one of history's most famous prisons? Well, it was it was the place where the Germans parked all the prisoners that were that had tried to escape from elsewhere. So it was really it was the kind of bad boys prison, and it was set up for, for escaped officers from British, Canadian, French, Dutch, Belgian, Polish, and they were all housed in this huge ugly gothic castle in east germany and it was meant to be the most high security prisoner of war camp in in the in the reich in fact it was meant to be impossible to escape from which of course was an incentive for these officers to try to get out of it so it really became a kind of escape academy and 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 the sort of the stories of the escapes are, are pretty remarkable actually no, the Washington Post describes the book as a, a tale of World War II daring do that reveals the humanity of its heroes. So I guess, first of all, how does this book read? Does it read as fiction, as a historical account, maybe a little bit of both? No, there's no fiction in it. It's, it's entirely historical. So it's, it's true. It's a narrative nonfiction account of the story of the castle. In some ways, it's a kind of it's it's the biography of the castle, but peopled by these remarkable characters. So it's absolutely non-fiction. There's not a word of it that's made up. Um, but there's a huge amount of material on on Colditz, and I was really lucky to get access to a, a lot of new stuff because this is one of those stories that is deeply embedded, particularly in British national mythology. But I was delighted when the Washington Post picked out the humanity aspect of this because the story of Colditz has always been told as a kind of, just as a pure adventure story of sort of brave um, officers sort of tunneling their way out or trying to fly out or trying to go down the walls. And of course, that is, a, that is centrally what the story is about. But beyond that, there's a much more complicated and much more interesting story to Colditz, which is about class and race and sexuality and, and what happens to people when they are locked up for nearly five years in the middle of a raging war. So it's kind of, it, it really ended up being a book partly about war and about escaping, but also about sort of how human beings behave in these really stressful circumstances that are not of their making. I'm just imagining the fact that, that these prisoners at Colditz had previously exemplified or demonstrated, I guess is the word I'm looking for, their ability to escape. And so you put them all together and you have to imagine that's just asking for a heap of trouble because, the, the, you know, you talk about human nature being what it, what it is. Uh, ben, they've done this before, so they're going to be maybe even more so empowered to try it again. 
That's right. I mean, what happened was they sort of, they both pooled their resources, so they all, in a way, worked together to aid these escapes. But also, because there were different national groups inside Colditz, there was a sort of strange rivalry associated with getting out of it. So the French competed with the Poles, and the Poles competed with the Brits, and the Brits competed with the Dutch. All of them sort of working both with each other and, in a way, sort of in competition with each other to get out. So it became almost a kind of a university of escaping. And, and the ingenuity that went into that was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, at one point, the French built a tunnel which they called Le Metro, which was 140 metres long. It started in one of the towers of the castle. It went down through the middle of it. Then it went under the floors of the, of the chapel and, and came out on one of the cliff sides. It had its own ventilation system. It had its own telephone system inside this tunnel so that they could alert um, the tunnelers in case the German guards turned up. And it was extraordinarily sophisticated. And that's just one of many, many examples. Our guest is Ben McIntyre, author of a new book, Prisoners of the Castle, an epic story of survival and escape from Kolditz. So if this prison was supposed to be the Nazis' biggest and baddest fortress prison, um, it sounds like a lot. there was a lot of stuff happening right underneath their nose. Like, how Did they ever figure it out? Well, yes, it was a sort of game of cat and mouse because there was a very clever rather brilliant German security officer running Colditz. And every time there was an escape or an attempted escape, he would plug the hole. So, you know, every time there was a tunnel, he would close it up. Every time someone tried to climb out of one of the windows, he'd make sure it was boarded up. So it became harder and harder to escape from Colditz. And although there were, there were dozens of escape attempts, I mean, at one point, escapes were happening at the ra- or attempted escapes were happening at the rate of one a day. But actually, getting out of Colditz was one thing. Getting out of Germany was another, because once you got outside the castle walls, you then had to try and get to a neutral frontier, and that required money and maps and a huge amount of good fortune. So actually, in the end, there were only about 30 successful, what they called home runs, people who actually managed to get out of the castle and and get out. So it was a kind of, it was a permanent battle, really, a seesaw battle between the prisoners and their German guards as to who was on top. And it was by no means entirely in favor of the prisoners. How did you gain access to all these declassified uh, papers, these, uh, you know, archived uh, the papers never seen before, photos? And, and are you amazed? I'm always amazed at how much documentation there is from World War II on both sides of this of this of this horrific war. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I mean, it was a, it was a tremendously sort of literate war, if you like. Everybody wrote everything down, um, Germans and prisoners alike. And and I was just stunned by how often, when I was researching this story, I would approach the family of one of these prisoners or all the Germans on the other side and say, have you got any material? And frequently they would say, ah, oh, yes, in the attic, we've got a box of postcards that grandpa kept over the years. And, and I'm just amazed by how often everybody wrote it down, memoirs, diaries, postcards, poems, and photographs. I mean, I was hugely lucky in that I was given um, the scrapbook that had been compiled by the chief German security officer, a man called Reinhold Eggers. And it was just, it was handed over to me. And this was an extraordinary sort of leather-bound book containing, and I'm not exaggerating, containing hundreds of photographs that he'd compiled as the chief security officer in Colditz to kind of document what had gone on in there. So there is this huge amount of stuff. And the declassified material, that comes from the fact that the British government has now more or less entirely declassified its 
secret archives from the wartime period, and in particular, a, a group of, of, from the British intelligence service called MI9. Now, we all know about MI5 and MI6, but MI9 was the secret intelligence service that was dealing with escaped prisoners and how to help them get out. And that archive alone runs to, well, hundreds of thousands of documents. So it's, it really, there's a kind of huge trove out there. Ben McIntyre, the author of Prisoners of the Castle, an epic story of survival and escape from Kolditz, the Nazi's fortress prison, launched yesterday at McNally Robinson as part of the Winnipeg International Writers' Festival. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate this. This book sounds like a fascinating read. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.